welcome back to Next Scene Podcast. The podcast taking on pop culture one scene at a time. The little corner of pop culture we are covering today is Muppet Christmas Carol. Once again, I'm your host, Sean. And I'm your other host, Brian. And today we have a very, very, very special guest. We are honored and pleased to have with us a dress historian, a dressmaker, and an author. It's Abby Cox. I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> History. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. We're, we're, we're happy to, to have you with us. Muppets. Yeah. Muppets. So you're, so okay, I could already see you're a Muppet lover. I, I definitely am a uh, lover of the Muppet Christmas Carol. Like, I'm not as much of a consumer of Muppets of, like, you know, Great Muppet Caper or the Muppet movie, but as an elder millennial, the Muppet Christmas Carol is my jam. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. I, well, that, yeah. No, I was going to say, I, for, for some reason with me, it is, I missed this when I was growing up, and I'm still trying to figure out why. Yeah, we're kind of coming from opposite ends. I grew up with the Muppet Show and the Muppet Movie, and kind of a, a, a I wouldn't say diehard, but I'm a pretty big Muppet fan <laughs> and all things Muppets. And Brian's like, they're puppets. I don't, he doesn't, you know, he missed I mean, it could, somehow. Somehow I missed it. Yeah, I just I failed I, as an older brother. I should have yeah. been exposing you to these Muppets long, long ago. Yeah, it's your fault exactly. But like, like the spirits of uh, Christmas Carol, I am exposing you to your faults. <laughs> in your foibles and and telling you it's not too late to change i'm like i'm like the marley in your life um so i should say let's let's get into it this uh for this episode the section of the film is the uh ghost of christmas yet to come we've we've traveled into the future for those of folk for the folks at home that are uh watching along with us this goes from about uh an hour two minutes to an hour 11 minutes so it's about a nine minute section in the future where we see and Scrooge sees what might await him if he does not change his ways. We start with a disoriented Scrooge being chased by fog in a graveyard, and it ends with Scrooge back in the same graveyard confronted by an unsettling gravestone. And I want to start with, let's, I want to start with this spirit, this spirit of the ghost of Christmas yet to come. The one thing I found interesting about this, or one of the things is, I think this is the most consistently portrayed spirit in terms of the different films, the different adaptions of this story, the different actors and so forth that have played the different spirits that, you know, we, we the, the ghost of Christmas past and present kind of change a lot, where this spirit is always kind of this consistently shrouded figure. Is that do you folks agree? Is that your experience with other Christmas carols? I think minus like Mickey's Christmas Carol, where you where the ghost of Christmas pre, uh, future is the one bad goofy guy, <laughs> not goofy, but the other one. Mm -hmm. I think I think so. Like they're all just kind of variations of Dementors. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I just want to start with. I thought this was a kids movie, but uh, apparently from this ten minutes, it's a horror movie. <laughs> I mean, it was scary. Yeah, that's why Gonzo and Rizzo are like, we're out. See you later, dude. Yeah, like, exactly. I'll catch you at the end. <laughs> it's, you mentioned that part, but that part is like, that's perfectly done. Like, just to kind of cut the tension a little bit. Like, yeah, this is this is scary, but they kind of throw in a joke there and you, you feel a little better. It's good, like, if you're a parent or someone who doesn't like the spooky part, that you can go, okay, this is the part where I need to fast forward mm -hmm. until, like, the colors come back. 
and you know, like if Gonzo and Rizzo are there, like it's all good. So yeah. accidental or like slightly intentional parenting pro tip there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we've talked about how this is kind of the, the original story is a little bit of a horror story. You know, it's got ghosts mm-hmm. and spirits and, and the dead coming back to, to haunt Scrooge. And this is sort of the horrorist, you know, this is the scariest portion. And yeah, mentioning that uh, Dickens, Charles Dickens and Rizzo just bug out and say, we'll, we'll see at the end, which is extreme because they've addressed the, the kind of the fear factor earlier where Rizzo Rizzo was concerned, like, is this going to be too scary for young children? And Dickens, as played by Gonzo, assures him, like, no, this this is culture. They're going to be okay. So I guess that even pushes it even further. Like, before what may have been scary, like before it was ghosts and stuff, but we assured you, now it's like, we're even us, even even the om- omnipotent or um, omnipresent narrator uh, of Charles Dickens, you know, even he is going to bug out. And, and leave us alone. Um, so that's, yeah, that, that can be scary. And it definitely, this is, this is even more Tim Burton-y than the previous parts. I think the set, the set design and the setting. Oh, it does have a very like nice Tim Burton feel, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know if you can say nice with Tim Burton, but I think, <laughs> I think my point's made. Yeah. I never thought about that, but you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. There is something about like, it's like spoopy. Mm-hmm. It, if you amp up the spoopy factor of Tim Burton, <laughs> then then yeah that's that that section yeah well yeah and other than when there there's the part where we're we're inside the cratchit household and it's sort of lit by the fire and that's a very light and red scene but the rest of this section um outdoors and and the other places that scrooge goes it it's very blue it's very Mm -hmm. batman returns Mm -hmm. right yeah, you could almost see, uh, you know, a, a penguin waddling down <laughs> the, the streets of Victorian London. Um, Skating. So, I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we do know there were penguins in, you know, in London yeah. at this time, apparently. It checks so. out. It's fine. It, it checks so. out. It checks out. <laughs> now, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, Abby, and your history, and um, I'll I'll post it to, I'll post a link. You you did a wonderful video breaking down the, the costumes in this film. And we had remarked, Brian and I and, and other guests had remarked earlier in the film, how great the costumes were and, and how ashamed that we, we didn't know more about the dress of the time to say, were, was it accurate or not? And long story short, it is. <laughs> it's incredibly um, accurate. Yeah. yeah. Did, uh, I don't recall. Did did you look into anything about, or you know anything about the shroud, the material for the the spirit? No, I mean, simply because that's always the most abstract character mm-hmm. in all of like the in like in renditions of a Christmas Carol that it's not really anything I particularly thought about. I was watching this clip because I have to be really honest. I I totally take my cue from like Gonzo and Rizzo. And if I check out during this movie, it is during this section. Mm-hmm. I always kind of half watch the section. And I mean, I watch this movie several times every year. So I just kind of have it running in my head anyways. Like I don't even need to see the movie at this point without, but I know where the scenes are. But yeah, mm-hmm. this section, I'm kind of yeah. like, Oh, 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 okay. I guess I should actually like watch this section more carefully for this podcast if this is like the <laughs> section that we're we're talking about. And I was looking at the at the massive puppet that they use for 
the ghost of Christmas future. And all it looked like to me was that it was probably just distressed like cheesecloth or linen mm-hmm. or muslin, like a really fine lightweight fabric that has been gathered up and crinkled up like that. And then they've spray painted it to make it look, you know, weathered and worn, but which I guess if you're in a shroud that kind of would make a little bit of sense but it's super abstract anyways like right yeah and it, it i was just curious like i wouldn't necessarily expect it because <laughs> the spirit is not of this yeah. time that he, the spirit isn't constrained by the you know the, the laws and the rules that would apply to the other characters human and otherwise yes so that's you know it doesn't it doesn't take away from the the accuracy of of the film in my yeah. mind, at least. Um, and yeah. I do want to read a little bit. One of the things that, that keeps coming up because I keep bringing it up is <laughs> how how faithful this adaptation is to the original. And for yeah. folks that haven't read the original Dickens, I just want to go through. This is uh, how Dickens describes this uh, spirit, this ghost of, of Christmas future. Uh, when, when Scrooge first encounters it, he says, the very air through which the spirit moved seem to scatter gloom and mystery. And I think we, we get that when the fog rolls in, kind of ahead of the spirit appearing. And then, uh, and then Dickens uh, describes, uh, says the spirit was shrouded in a deep black garment, which concealed its head, its face, its form, and left nothing of it visible, save one outstretched hand. And the only the only thing the only thing I could pick at is we see two hands. Uh, generally, like the spirit's got one hand on Scrooge's shoulder and then another hand using to point the way. But other than having you know two hands instead of only one visible, you know that's kind of dead on. I think they really hit it with um, you know that original description from from Dickens. It and it's super creepy. The hands are creepy. Just the fact that all you see are like weird hands, whether it's one or two. You're just mm-hmm. like, that is, it just really does a good job of making it feel very foreboding and creepy and is a massive energy shift in the whole story. Just like that. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the hands are, ugh. I don't <laughs> think they have fingernails. The Muppet one? Which makes, yeah, the, yeah, the, the spirit, I, it looks like the fingers are just kind of rounded at the end. I don't see, they're just really creepy. Definitely okay. adds to the the gloom and the the sense of this, yeah, of this section. And a, another thing that I found very spooky, or kind of adding to the tone, was the score that we have now. There's no, uh, there's so there's no song, there's no singing in this section. But we start off, um, you know, in in the graveyard when Scrooge first encounters the spirit. The the score, it's like deep brass and strings. And booming timpani is like very, very somber, like makes, you know, definitely it, I feel the fog rolling in around me when I hear that music. Yeah, the whole thing is is definitely scary. The, the atmosphere, as, as I've said every time, the atmosphere in this movie is unbelievable. Yeah. So is it are you is it is, is it going to scare are you like scared straight? Are you are you getting on board the Muppet train here, Brian? I, I mean, as as you know, each time I am liking it a little <laughs> bit more. Uh, I didn't love the deleted scenes, but uh, it, it's getting yeah, it's it's getting there. It's definitely getting there. I mean, this one, yeah, it was it it's creepy. It's really creepy. It, it reminds me of the Scrooged one actually from Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I feel like that's that I, when you mentioned earlier and we were talking about what it looks like. Yeah. Like a Dementor, but I did, I haven't seen this Bill Murray Scrooge one in a while, but it really reminded me of that. Yeah. I, I actually watched that a couple nights ago and yeah, there's a lot of similarity. Um, there's definitely, and that's a, that's a much different adaptation, but one section or, or one part of it where there's a consistency between these two very different adaptations, I would say, yeah, this, this ghost of, uh, of Christmas future. And, you know, since, since you brought it up, that deleted scene, um, I'll, I'll take this opportunity to ask. So, you know, Abby kind of what's, you know, you, you've, you've said you're, you're a fan of this, this movie. This is kind of one of your regular Christmas traditions to watch every year. What, what's your feeling on when love is gone and, um, you know, and what's your feeling on when love is gone being gone and when love is gone, uh, returning as we recently found out. When love was found. So we have now the complete emotional arc of A Muppet's Christmas Carol now back together again. So that way the final song makes sense. Um, I I am a very much a pro when love is gone person. um, Because I I was six years old when this movie came out. So Mm -hmm. it was I was that generation. Like I was that kid that it was made for. And then the mass confusion of when it was released on VHS. And the the song and the scene were included, and then when it you know came out on Blu-ray, well, the DVD had both options, and so you could mm-hmm. pick the theatrical version or the extended version, and then the Blu-ray version, I don't think it had it or something, and then that caused confusion, and then obviously the Disney Plus doesn't have it. That I was very salty about the song being taken out because I don't does Rizzo crying in the end like at, at, like the scene is like lightning fast Rizzo's crying mm-hmm. you're like but why do I care like who why why is he so upset this is not a big deal like and so having the song and that emotional arc of the song is just oh so good also Belle looks fabulous she looks so good and yeah so we, we, <laughs> we yeah we we had a special episode we just talked about it and well I, I, I want to get your opinion because the result of that episode, both Brian and I and the guest Liz that had joined us for that episode were not big fans of the song. But I think one thing we all agreed on is we would have liked to have seen more of Belle. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have minded to, you know, a, a better look at at her and her, mm-hmm. her wonderful costuming. And also the young Scrooge. He's, he's smoke show. Was, was quite a dapper gentleman. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> what I called him like Mr. Thirst. I can't even remember all the names I gave him at this point, but yeah, no, he's a, he looked good in that great coat. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, but <laughs> I will say in defense of the song at the end of the movie, you have when love is found. And so the, the, the music does help tell the story as well. And so at the end, when he's sitting at the table with everyone and they're singing when love is found, you know, it doesn't, that song doesn't make as much sense mm-hmm. when you don't have the, when love is gone. So there is an additional layer to that song that makes sense. That is a good point. Um, that that's something I don't know if we touched on even. Yeah, so that's true. It does help. Now, what? Well, yeah, okay. With the song at the end, yeah, it definitely ties together because we kind of said almost seeing the scene without the song, just with the with the music, with the score, it could kind of tell the story. But again, with the song at the end, yes, it does make a lot more sense. Yeah. I mean, I know the song is divisive, but it's. I, I, I can't help but be pro song. Yeah, no, the costumes in that scene were great. Costuming, especially Regency costuming, which is when that 
scene is supposed to take place. So based off of just how I think they dated the movie, and I haven't gotten confirmation from Polly Smith yet about this. We, she has emailed me, but I haven't had the chance to actually write her back. So I haven't like gone full into like Polly Smith, OMG, give me all the deets on this movie <laughs> about like <laughs> your research other than a couple of like snippets she's like thrown at me. And I'm like, oh my God, like you just casually throw out that you were designing dinosaurs and then you only had two months to design like a, the Muppet Christmas Carol. And here's this woman who is just like iconic in Gen X and millennial pop culture. And she's like, yeah, no big deal. Like, I don't care. <laughs> I should probably watch that movie again. Um, <laughs> it's like, okay. Wow. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the way that it looks like the movie took place is that Fozzie Wigs Christmas party was in the 1790s. And then the scene between Belle and Scrooge when they break up is about probably around 1812 to about like 1818. And I know that seems like super specific, but just kind of based off of what she and he were both wearing, it's probably in the mid teens. And so then that kind of helps further tell the story over how much time had passed. Because when mm -hmm. I was, I was listening to the audiobook like over the past couple of weeks and I was trying to see if like they say anything about dates and they never really do go into it. There is some great information about like apprenticeships and how apprenticeships function and, and everything else with fuzzy, fuzzy wigs and stuff. But anyways, her, what she's wearing and what he's wearing, like the detail in that is just, it's really incredible. And so I just wish that scene had been longer just so we could have enjoyed what they were wearing so much more because there was actually a lot of work put into that garment, both of them actually. And so what she's wearing is, I believe, a police, which is kind of like a coat that is open in the front. You could wear it with a gown underneath of it, or you could wear it kind of independently. But usually they're worn almost essentially like coats, and they open in the center front. And like the way it was cut with the smooth in the front and the gather. I know you guys are probably like, I have no idea what she's talking about at this point. But just the way it was cut was really, really really good. I mean, we're talking like BBC level, you know, 1995 Pride and Prejudice, Colin Firth in the lake, like quality <laughs> of costuming. You know, we're not talking about slapdash. Nah, it's kind of high-waisted. It's fine. Like, go. Go out on stage. Like, there was a lot of care and thought. Right. And just like the the great coat, like men wearing great coats like that with the multiple capes over it to help shed water and weather and to help keep them dry and the wool that it was made out of all of that like the details within the costuming for that scene are just mm, chef's kiss so good <laughs> and we get like five seconds of it if there's no song and it's just, right mm, right yeah yeah it, i would it, have loved more it's a shame we don't get more of it i will say i'm not i'm not a dressmaker this is not my forte and uh, so i'm i'm <laughs> i'm missing a lot of the the jargon and the the you know the the technical terms for these things. I'm so sorry. But being familiar with this film and having seen it so many times, yeah. I can picture in my mind. I know what you're talking about. I'm like, okay, now this thing has you know this thing mm -hmm. has a name, and now I know yeah. what it is. Yeah. So, you know, so I mean, I'm able to put the pictures together. I can try to explain it a little bit more. I, it, it's hard when like we don't have any visuals, even like us mm -hmm. sitting here talking. Um, and obviously dress history and costuming is better visually than it is like on audio. Mm -hmm. Great coats. And that's what they were called in the past, like up, you know, 18th century up through, they were always called great coats. And so, you know, men would wear a three piece suit and variations of a three piece suit for most of history. Um, basically like after this, 
1600s and they got rid of a hose and they went to breeches mm-hmm. and then eventually into trousers or, or pantaloons and so a gentleman so like what you all would probably wear is you know you'd have your shirt which is going to usually be made out of linen mm-hmm. possibly cotton by the 1840s because the american cotton industry is having a really great marketing uh, scheme happening and the price of cotton is dropping because of enslavement in the United States. And then there's a competitive nature going on between Britain and America and cotton manufacturing. But that has nothing to do with uh, a Muppet's Actually, it does kind of have something to do with a Muppet's <laughs> Christmas Carol because it has something to do with a Christmas Carol because I'm pretty sure that Grooge might have dealt in, or maybe it was corn. Anyways, <laughs> so you'd have your shirt and then you would have wool trousers on you'd have at least one waistcoat on because one of the details that i realized when watching this movie is that polly smith put a lot of the characters in double waistcoats which was a thing in the early to mid 19th century so uh you would have one to two waistcoats on probably silk uh silk Mm. facing and then you have a a coat on over that and that was more than likely going to be wool as well. And so then over top all of that, you would have your great coat. And your great coat wasn't really about keeping you warm. It was about keeping the weather off of you. Um, wool, mm. uh, wool has this amazing ability to absorb a lot of moisture but feel dry. Uh, that's why sheep, you know, have evolved to have that. Mm-hmm. And then wool broadcloth, which is what great coats would have been made out of. It was a woven woolen textile that then was fulled or agitated to the point that it it compacted the fibers down really, really tight to the point that you could cut wool broadcloth and it has a cut edge and that cut edge will never fray. So, you know, if you have like shirts or something today and there's like a cut or a tear in it and like all the fibers kind of start coming out and the threads start coming out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so wool happens. broadcloth. Yeah, so wool broadcloth doesn't do that. It holds its cut edge. And so I've seen original like men's coats from the 1700s that still have a smooth cut edge, you know, basically 300 years later. Um, so the coat that Ebenezer's wearing is is made out of that wool broadcloth, and that is to repel water, and it's naturally water resistant. And so and then you'd have those multiple layers of capes over his shoulders, like three to four, and there are satires and satirical prints and this time period where the men just have like all of these like capes on their gray coat and you can't and their heads like super tiny and you can't really see them and it's making fun of the style a little bit and the extremeness of it Mm -hmm. but having those layers means that if you're in england and it's drizzly and it's rainy and it's damp or it could possibly be snowing the water has to get through all of those layers of fabric before it actually gets to your body and which means it's basically impossible unless you're in like a hurricane level situation. So it does a really great job keeping you dry and protecting you from the elements. Yeah, that's going to keep you warm. So and then keeping you. Yeah. And then the warmth factor is partly that, but also with how interiors were in, in the 18th and 19th century, you would dress for the warmth as well, just in general. So that multiple waistcoats, silk lined, um, padded garments. Things like that. Yeah. So, so now I very roasty. Pretty cool. Yeah. I'm wondering. So you said so Fozzie Wigs party is like 1890s. 1790s. 1790s. Or sorry, 1790s. Then we're like the 18 teens for uh the when love is gone, when Scrooge mm-hmm. and Bell part ways. Do you get do you have a sense of 
than sort of like current day or the yeah the the current day for Scrooge. Um, what do the the fashion tell you? We we've been guessing it's about thirty years later, just comparing kind of Michael Caine's mm-hmm. age versus the young Scrooge actor's age. Yeah, um, I assume just by the way that they dressed everyone that since the book was published in 1843, that mm-hmm. they set the movie in 1843 as well. And that's how Fred looks. That's how his wife, Clara looks. Mm-hmm. And then if you take that into consideration, then you look at Miss Pizzy, uh, Miss Pizzy, <laughs> Miss Piggy <laughs> as, as uh, Mrs. Cratchit and, and Kermit as Bob, even though he, he's definitely even more old fashioned in a mm-hmm. lot of ways that she's Polly has put everyone basically in 1843 or early 1840s, but then Piggy, Miss Piggy, I don't, why am I calling her? Okay. Wow. (laughs) There we go. Miss Piggy is dressed in late 1830s. And so she's shown poverty through fashion, Mm -hmm. which sometimes can be really problematic in films because fashion and the change of fashion is very different in the 19th century and and up honestly up through very very recently um with with how the fashion industry works and how we treat our clothing uh but i thought that she did a good job with it in this instance because it wasn't like she put miss piggy in a 18 teens police you know mm-hmm. so she, it's only like five years out of date instead of 20 years out of date which is what you see a lot in historic costume films that they try to show age or wealth disparity through these like massive, just like, you know, it'd be like trying to say in a movie today to show someone's quote unquote poverty by dressing them in like the trends of 86, like 1986. So Mm -hmm. if the person looks, you know, it doesn't make sense. Like that's not how our brains process that. And it was the same thing in the past. So the way everyone looks, especially like in that Christmas party scene to me, it's very much like dead on 1843. So, mm. so yeah. And and that ties in well, too, with, you know, the time passing between Bell and Scrooge breaking up, his age, you know, okay, so he was a kid probably in the 1770s based off of, like, the school scene. And, and that's, like, 30. Yeah, that seems to make it pretty close, probably is. Because I believe Scrooge is, he's, he seems to always kind of interpret him as being in his 70s or so. So... I was thinking more 50s or 60s, but it's yeah. ballpark, which makes sense because during that time he would have, like a, a, an upper class young man would have been a long, a prolonged education and university and getting a master's degree or doctorate no. or whatever. So, yeah, you know, that time at Fozziewigs, he could have been 17, 18. And then if we're talking, mm-hmm. you know, so we jump, uh, you know, 15 or, or 20 mm-hmm. years later with the breakup, he's you know, maybe young thirties, which makes uh, at that point, which yeah. which makes sense for men at that time period. Mm-hmm. Uh, men in the 18th century were considered to reach the majority after their apprenticeships, usually around the age of 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, boys being boys, no offense, sirs. Um, <laughs> they <laughs> understood that boys were more immature than girls were, and so yes. apprenticeships <laughs> were usually entered for for men a bit older. So. Girls would go into apprenticeships for like millinery or or mantle making, which is dressmaking, usually anywhere between like 12, 13, 14 years old. Guys, boys would usually enter their apprenticeships probably closer to like 15, 
14. Um, apprenticeships traditionally could last, the average was usually seven years. So then by the time they've graduated and they've reached the majority, their journeyman status, what have you in trade, they'd be about 21 years old. Mm-hmm. Apprenticeships could be shorter than that. Um, they could be negotiated for a year, for two years, for three years. So in the scene where he meets Belle, he is probably around like between 18 to 21 years old. And then for men to get married, because a lot of people like to think that people got married, you know, when they're like super duper young, but usually men were in their 30s because they had to spend their 20s making money because you couldn't just go off and just get married. Like, no, you'd have to be able to provide. Exactly. And like have a home and have a nice place to live and all of this stuff. And so they usually would then end up being in their 20s in their thirties when, by the time they were able to get married. And so, yeah, I mean, like that all checks out really, really well. Yeah, and so then kind of current day is, so then is about 30 years ahead of going from 18 teens to 1840s, going from yeah. 30 to 60 or 70 yeah. around there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Somewhere that in there. Yeah. This, in this, this section, the scene with the Cratchits is mm-hmm. uh, I, I particularly like I and this may be throughout the movie now that I'm more attuned after watching your video more attuned to the the costuming um maybe I'll pick up on this more but I found particularly that the, the layman or laywoman you know, the average person watching this may not pick up on the difference in styles between the the different eras and 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 like for example what Miss Piggy is wearing but we can see what Kermit as as Bob Cratchit what he's wearing you can see his coat is worn. You can see, and I, I think it's either just, maybe it's just discolored, but it looks like there's some patching going on. Definitely there's some wearing at the lapels, again, you know, to indicate that he's less well off, that he's going to be wearing clothes a little bit longer than, you know, than a, a, someone who's more well off who can afford new things or have them more properly mended. And to think that this is, you know, he's a frog. This is not, there's not a lot of fabric involved. It's not a big costume. It's got to be very small, you know, a very small overcoat or great coat to put on a frog puppet, but to go through the detail of wearing at the lapels and, and some fraying edges, you know, the, the detail kind of adds to the authenticity of the whole film. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know if you saw the comment that Polly Smith left on my video, but did you guys see that comment? I did not see the comment, no. See, I haven't been able yeah. to pin it yet because that video was sponsored by by Audible. And so, mm-hmm. like, once my, like, kind of time frame, I'm going to pin the comment so people can see it. But she told a story in the comment. And she says in the comment, and anyone can go read this if you go to the video and, and just look mm-hmm. for her comment. It, it, she just says it as Polly Smith. So there's no username. Like, it's like, oh, there she is. She was working on dinosaurs at the time, and she had two months to do the costuming for the Muppet Christmas Carol. And so she said she just showed up to the Jim Henson work like studios and threw some um, 1840s shirt research at people and was like, here, let's just make them shirts. And so all of those Muppets, all of those puppets, even Rizzo, have... Victorian early Victorian shirts on and then they didn't even cheat like they did genuinely put all of these layers on these puppets which is just Mm -hmm. insane and then yeah yeah, to go and like Kermit has his waistcoat and Kermit has his fall front breeches and Kermit (laughs) has a a a coat that's 
cut off at the waist and so it's an older style and then they've weathered it and then peter actually when i was watching the clip that's the focus of today's podcast you can see his like little patch on his sleeve when he's like rotating the the goose and and you can see this little like frayed patch on you're like oh that's not a good patching job but it's really cute and a nice little detail like it's just uh the like yeah the detail of what they put into this movie is just it's insane it's just amazing i mean it definitely like this is making it like a lot more appreciative of of everything in in these scenes for sure with what you're telling us here oh yeah you go back now you're gonna watch the like the scenes of fozzie wigs and be like exactly (laughs) i think i need to research like 1790s men's fashion now because i don't know if that wig is completely correct for the 1790s (laughs) but it's a little too 1770s but i guess Mm -hmm. i'll let it slide because there's definitely right. wigs on the puppets that are like dead on the nose, like 18th century wigs. And it's like, oh, okay, you 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 went there. You you went there. There, there you go. But yeah, okay. just that little bit of material culture, just ooh, so good. So good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting for I'm I'm a fan, and I know this this may be controversial. I'm a fan of Fred, of nephew Fred. I know as a as a character, some people aren't completely enamored with him. Really? I'm waiting for those styles to come back. I would dress like that every day if, if if I thought I could get away with it without getting too many strange looks. I mean, you can. <laughs> Zach Pinson does it all the time. So yeah. you just got to like lean into into like the Victorian dandiness and everyone will just be like, cool. And then Instagram will blow up and they'll love you. And yeah. that's all you got to do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know who Zach Pinson is, but he is actually a. He's a friend of mine and he wears Regency style menswear. Like that's mm-hmm. just the clothes that he wears. And he, he, the BBC had a documentary about him, like a small, like 20 minute, you know, oh, really? YouTube documentary about him and it went viral and it blew up. And yeah, so he is, he is now just famous for wearing Regency clothes, but I think you can get away with a lot more in England than you can in, in the United States. So certainly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it- but I'm for bringing Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I said I'm, I'm all for, as Sean knows, bringing back a little, a little more dress, a little more uh, dress around here. I mean, as, as as you may not know, Sean is famous. He does not wear jeans, and I respect that. I don't know if I'm famous, but <laughs> I, I well, you know, I'm I'm an adult, and I I do not work outside or on a farm, so right. I do not own any denim. I don't see the need for it. You don't. Do you wear do you wear like nice wool trousers then? Like what what do you wear, Sean? You know, I and I will like I'm I, I'm a fan of the car. Do you wear kilts? Do you wear sweatpants? No, I I dress like an adult. I wear slacks. I wear um I wear cargo pants. I I don't mind having an excess of pockets. They come in very handy certainly with our the modern day where in addition to a, a you know, in addition to a, a wallet and a a pocket watch, you've got a phone and, and possibly a pager or beeper and, you know, other devices. So I, I see the the utility of having many pockets. I am a, a fan of the cargo pant. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wear cotton. I wear modern fabrics. I don't, you know. Do you own any wool? <laughs> I do. Own, yeah. I mean, I've, I've got, yeah, wool, wool slacks. You should you um, like wools. Wear a lot of yeah. wool. I just, I just think it's strange. Like, so, well, for a period of time, I took, uh, I tried my hand at horse riding. Okay. I took riding lessons for a few months and I, you know, I went out and I bought a pair of jeans. You know, it's, it's appropriate to wear denim when you're on a horse. 
But then I'm like, okay, I tried that. Not really my thing. Wasn't going anywhere. I don't do that anymore. And I'm like, uh, so I don't need denim anymore. I'm probably going to cut this out. I don't think anyone needs See, to, <laughs> anyone cares no, this is, about me. Wearing, this is fascinating. Please, Abby, keep analyzing on Instagram right now. So I can see like, I'm like, okay, sh- like how good is my, yes. so I will, like, so I, I, you Instagram. know, to, to, to give, and I'm all jeans. I'm jeans every day of every yeah, week. Uh, but Abby, go ahead. Am I doing it wrong? You're the younger brother. So you're dressed like a kid. <laughs> you're dressed like a child. Abby, please, please weigh in on this debate. You're the authority. I am, I am the um I I I am impressed that Sean doesn't wear denim. I think that's a very rare quality to find in 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 a, a gentleman. I think I mean I have very big feelings about masculinity and I mean I'm assuming you guys are American because you sound American. Maybe you all are Canadian. Um, no, we yes, we are American. American, yeah. yes, yes. About like the American male and how like fashion has been ripped away from them. And that it's no longer male fashion is very boring, which in part actually happened after the 1840s. See, I could tie this back into Muppets Christmas. Yes, yes. Don't worry about it. It's all connected. <laughs> it's all a big circle. But, you know, I so I'm very pro men expressing themselves with fashion. But mm-hmm. it, it being the year of 2020, I have no room to judge people's tutorial decisions because I'm like, what pair of Baggy pants do I want to wear today? Mm-hmm. Being a self-employed content creator, I only put nice clothes on when there's a camera rolling. Mm-hmm. I won't even tell you guys how long it's been since I washed my hair. Um, so that's why I asked if yeah. you're going to do this on, on well, video. And yeah, um, I'm be, being podcasters, so we don't even have video <laughs> that you we're know, talking about jeans. There's really no need for me to be wearing pants at all. No, exactly. <laughs> I haven't we left the house see- in eight months. <laughs> Yeah, we could all be pantsless right now and no one would know. Um, <laughs> That's right. But I think the 1840s is, and I, I think bringing this back is actually a really great thing, is the 1840s was kind of one of the last moments in male fashion where there was a lot of color. And mm-hmm. and then eventually you see the gray, black, you know, earth tone business wool suit kind of take over for menswear and you lose the color you you lose the designs and up until that point like men's clothing was so colorful you know and that's why fred's great because he really brings in that like pop of color like that yes. pop of personality yes. you know his the plaid pants the the plaid waistcoats like the silks and the color and the wools and this is like oh it's so good and they loved plaid pants in like the 1830s and 40s and so and they were like really tight pants and then they were high-waisted and they had these very curvy cuts to their suits in like the 1830s and 40s and so it had actually a very feminine figure to it there's a lot of like hourglass shaping so yeah here are like these men walk around and you just imagine like these long legs with like plaid pants and they're like tight plaid pants. And you're just like, the visuals of that is just like, bam. Yeah. Like just like plaid noodle legs everywhere. But- <laughs> well, and yeah, I mean, and you talk about men's pants with a waist. Whatever happened to that? You look, you look at, and that's, you know, even going forward to the 1900s, you look at, you know, a fashion icon like, like Humphrey Bogart and you look at his pants and you'd you'd get laughed at if you wore something like that today. Now it's trying to find pants that actually go up to my hips, let alone reach my waist is, is a challenge. I don't know when, you know, pants drop so low on gentlemen. I think that's, Hmm. I don't like it. It's a good observation. That's true. The nineties. 
or the early 2000s and they just women's have come back up thank goodness but yeah i don't think men's have yet i i (laughs) (laughs) like what what would gentlemen do if they have like a zipper that's like actually like 10 inches long or something um and things up to your actual waist and not to your hips so no, they it is, would look like gentlemen is what would happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, it'd be difficult. I mean, it is difficult. I think a lot of the guys I know who are very much into vintage fashions and, and dressing dapper, like they, they wear a lot of vintage pants yeah. to get the fit that they want and, and to have it sit the way that they want. Um, but yeah, yeah. See, I'm, I'm, I, I want to look like an adult and dress like an adult, but I'm also very lazy. So if it's not something that's why a good will pants. Although although good good thing for the, the modern age, I'm not stuck with just what's available at the local mall. I can go online. Like I'm a big fan of the French cuff. I'm not I'm not overly expressive, I don't think in my dress, but I do like a little color. And I like mm-hmm. a cufflink. I like, you know, I'm not a big jewelry where I don't have a lot of rings and chains and earrings and all that sort of stuff. But if I can have a cufflink. And express a little color, a little personality there. I think that's that's something I do. I, the cufflink when, when I leave the house, which again is something I've not done in eight months. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to wear cufflinks around your house, like uh, day five hundred and fifty-two of, of quarantine. I'm going to put on my nice cufflinks today. <laughs> I, I may start because I've got a little mini. I've got a little mini chest full of cufflinks that have been have accumulated over the years and they're collecting dust. I may, I may start wearing them around the house just so they get exercised. Like January, like 2021, like a cufflink a day. And you just like make that a thing. But I will say cufflinks are one of the things about men's fashion that I get super jealous of. I love cufflinks mm-hmm. and I get super salty that it's like, uh, men have this cool accessory and, and, like, I mean, I could wear one as a woman, but like, even just finding a woman's shirt where like you would have, you could put it in cufflinks. Like, I don't, I've never actually even seen one. It's, oh, cufflinks are so cool. Oh, and like, mm, they're just this little bit of personality, just like right there, just hidden, you know, it's like a secret message. And you're just like, bam, personality right there. Cufflinks, so cool. Exactly. Exactly. Well, there you go. Sean, from a fashion icon, you're getting approved on everything you're choosing. <laughs> It, this is very good for my ego. Yeah, my goodness. All right. Now, I <laughs> I do want to get back to the film. And I actually want oh, right, to just... Right, right. Yeah, That's right. We were talking about Muppets. Let's, let's, let's bring it back to uh, A Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, sorry. The Muppet Christmas Carol. And I actually want to talk about something that's not fashion related. So one of the things we have, we've got a, it's uh, the future, the, uh, the near future, because we see Bob and Emily and the, the Cratchit children haven't aged too much. Um, except for one particular child has gone through a, a, a pretty big life change. But we see once again, like like we saw earlier, we see the kind of the family, Miss Piggy and, and the children are home. And then Kermit as Bob Cratchit arrives. Why doesn't Emily Cratchit get to leave the house? Because we, well, we, we, we first saw them in actually just about 12 minutes ago in film time in part six, uh, where Bob and, and Tiny Tim are returning from church and they talk about the great service and how Tiny Tim thought he might be an inspiration for the others who saw him and, and everything else. And, and here Bob returns and he's talking about uh, the, 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 the spot that he's picked in the churchyard as as tiny tim's kind of final resting place it's a it's a spot up on the hill where he can watch the ducks on the river as he liked to do and and bob says to his wife it would have done you good to see how green the place is 
well, can't like, <laughs> is she not allowed to go? Like, why can't she see how green the place is? Do they just not let, you know, in, in the 1840s, did they not let their women leave the house? Like, are they Ferengi? What's going on here? No, women definitely left the house in the 1840s. Uh, okay. You know, I've never really thought about it. <laughs> I, I think the confusion with the movie is she's doing the same exact thing in the same exact, it's like the same shot and they just mm-hmm. recycled it. And maybe that's just like the confusing part of it because I think yeah. in the book, she's supposed to be like sewing or doing some mending or something, you know, and she talks about her weak eyes and she can't show weak eyes to to their father right. and, and everything. So, and like the children are home. So maybe she's just stuck there because they have like 15,000 prog children and she just can't leave them alone because <laughs> they're going to set something on fire. Uh, well, yeah. And it goes, you mentioned, you know, kind of Pete turning, uh, Peter uh, mm-hmm. turning the spit to rotate the, the goose or, you know, over the fire. Like that's what he was doing 12 minutes ago. That's all this kid yes. does is turn this. T- <laughs> You'd think he'd be, like, super jacked after doing that for so long. It's like, why are you so weak, Peter? Like, it should be, like, P90X. You know? <laughs> Sorry, I just feel like Eliza slushing. You're like, are you going to prison in 90 days, P90X? Yeah. Like, are you the But, I mean, Belinda and Bettina are, like, have massive chaotic evil energy about them. Mm-hmm. So I definitely would not trust them alone at home with an open yeah. flame anywhere. Like, now is this? I you know. I I wonder. You, you, going back to Peter, like, can he? Like, is he a black belt now? Is this like a little <laughs> Mister Miyagi? Like, wax on, wax off. You know, turn the goose, turn the goose. Like, is he learning karate as he's doing this? I oh, I think. <laughs> I hope that they would put him into a trade where his upper body strength would be useful. So so maybe he's going to go into blacksmithing, and like you know, that's his dream is to be a blacksmither. Yeah, and then what he'd is- be. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, is, it is strange. It stood out to me because there is so much detail, so much work went into this film. And, and Abby, you talked about it with the dress and the costuming, and we've talked about it with, with the dialogue and the things taken from the original and how faithful it is to the original story and all these other things. Brian Henson talks about um, in the, the DVD commentary, he talks about some of these musical numbers, like a, a, the, these the the songs a typical musical number would take about four days to film to get you know to, to get puppets singing and dancing you know all, all the work that went into that and then like you pointed out abby this is this scene is basically a, a repeat of the scene we've seen just recently it's they're the, the family's at home doing the same thing they're preparing a meal pete's turning the spit bob comes home from church like I wonder if this was like towards the end of filming where they're like enough already. <laughs> I, I, quite possibly. That makes the most sense to me. Like, yeah. you're like I'm done. No one's going to watch this part anyways. Cause this is, you know, all the children are hiding and everyone's crying. So what yeah. difference does it make? Like, right. No, every, yeah, no one's, no, yeah. Everyone's looking through their tears. They're not really going to be seeing much anyway, except for the children that are hiding from this, this scary spirit. So maybe they, they, and, and I'm not faulting them. They put enough work and detail in, the other 75 minutes of the film that if this one scene like slacks off a little bit, I will not begrudge them uh, too much. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. That's oh yeah. Yeah. I have to say, so Abby, any other uh, must watch Christmas movies of the season for you? Oh, Oh, oh switching yeah. gears entirely. Let's see. I also am a, I, 
I love just I love a Christmas Carol just in general. It's one of my favorite stories. Mm-hmm. I really love the message behind it. I love the lessons that can be learned from it. I, it's something that I, I, it really sticks with me. So the other two like must watch Christmas movies for me are actually Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. And I know that's a very divisive Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think I've seen it. It it's very much uh, of 1969 and a very loose telling of a Christmas Carol, but the music is fantastic. And Mm -hmm. I can quote that one a lot too. Uh, little women, Mm, the 1994 version with Winona Ryder that for, for me and a bunch of people is actually, (laughs) it's very much a Christmas movie. I guess Mm -hmm. it's kind of like die hard where it's like some part of it takes place in Christmas. Therefore it is a Christmas movie. Right. Um, And then I actually am, I have a very weird interest in the Rankin Bass specials, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, oh, yeah. Santa yes. Claus is Coming to Town, Frosty, mm-hmm. Year Without a Santa Claus, all of all of them. So mm-hmm. I just love Christmas media, just in general. Yes, there's yeah, something very comforting definitely. about it. Yeah, I oh, gotta go back. I think I'm, I I may have seen you know Miss, the Mister Magoo christmas carol at some point as a child but i don't remember it i have to go back because you've said abby if i if i remember correctly mm-hmm. you've said so this you know the muppet christmas carol is your favorite christmas carol mm-hmm. but you prefer the magoo music i do i do mostly because it's really obnoxious <laughs> and it's fun to sing in the kitchen with your mom mm-hmm. when you're a kid yeah, so I I, I want to so... seek that out. I want to watch because I'm I'm a big yes, fan of the music and the songs in, in this film, the songs <laughs> that made it into the theatrical release, particularly. Yeah. So if if you know if there's another version that's got even better songs, I'm gonna want to yeah. check that out. So I'll definitely have it, to look that up. It might be a generational thing because <laughs> my mom grew up watching Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, and so obviously because it was something that was a part of her childhood we watched it growing up and so i've grown up watching it and so with people who haven't grown up watching it i don't think people appreciate it as much because it does have a very strong like late 60s early 70s feel to it like the way it the way it looks i think it was made in 1969 no that's mm-hmm. not correct mm-hmm. i was wrong on that date it was earlier than that cuz mom said my mother said she was 9 when it came out and she was born in 53 so it came out Ooh, 62, earlier. according to IMDb. Yes. Yeah, that's better. Yeah. I don't know where I got 1969, but it had a very strong like 60s feel to it. The colors, honestly, the music. So I don't think it's everyone's cup of tea, but I really like it, especially the when you go to Christmas Future, unlike The Muppets Christmas Carol, they do have a song with mm-hmm. the ghost of Christmas Future, and it's much more comedic and it's much funnier and lighter. And it's, it's it's good. I, I appreciate. Okay. Oh, I appreciate it. So I do want to if- check that out because well, mm-hmm. one of the things, one of the early casting, uh, early suggestions was to have Gonzo play the ghost of Christmas Future, and he would still be shrouded in all black, but you just see that Gonzo nose sticking out from out out of the shroud, <laughs> and obviously going a little bit more of a comedic direction, which they decided not to do. Uh, I, I think you know they decided to to have Gonzo as Charles Dickens. Um, so, but so it'd be interesting to see in addition to what they do with the music and the songs, but going a little bit of a different direction with the mm-hmm. ghost of Christmas future. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I have to see if that's streaming anywhere. The yeah, I want to I want to check it out. Mr. Magoo's not, Christmas it's, Carol. Yeah, it's. I think you can just watch it on YouTube. Honestly, um, <laughs> yeah, and it's short. I guess can, it was probably yeah, it was probably like a TV movie. It's fifty three minutes, so it it's a yeah. quick watch. It, it it keeps a quick pace. Like it doesn't mess around. Yeah. And the commercial break cool. cuts are like cut into it, so you always know when you need to stop if you need to go get like something else to drink or another snack or you need to there go to the bathroom. You need a, it, need a break. Very clear. <laughs> in the in the movie i will you mentioned little women and i'll throw out which is you know a, a great film a great story that's been told similar to a christmas carol that there are a great many adaptations i just want to say for the listeners if you haven't seen the 1933 little women with Catherine hepburn see it it's it's not good i won't say that but Catherine Hepburn is a star, just old time Hollywood. She's fantastic. The rest of the film, the cast, everything else is horrible, but she shines bright in the firmament. And it is a must watch for me. Absolutely. I would say Little Women 1933 with Catherine Hepburn. If you haven't seen it, it is worth a watch. Go watch that then. Yeah. Uh, so it, bringing it back to to the Muppet. So yeah, <laughs> try to bring it back to to uh, a Muppet Christmas Carol. So you're you're a fan of the film, Abby? Do you have a particular mm-hmm. scene, a particular line? Like, what's you have? You know, what kind of what's your favorite part of of the movie that you love so much? The opening sequences. I mean, I love Rizzo. He has Rizzo has the best lines in the whole movie, just in general. Mm-hmm. Like any scene with Gonzo and Rizzo is pretty much gold. I mean, whether it's the jelly bean scene or God save my little broken body, light the lamp, not the rat. The rat. <laughs> not the, it's like, the lamp, yeah. yeah. He's like, Rizzo, the rat you call, like you called, like, oh, the fruit is wax, hot rat, like hot goose, hot goose. I mean, all of it. Rizzo's just, <laughs> he's so good in the whole movie. He's fantastic. Yeah. But like the opening song of Here Comes Mr. Humbug, Here Comes Mr. Scrooge, like the scene of that, how that's laid out, the music, the how they just brought London to life and like, the here comes Michael Caine like walking in and he's just comp comp fun. It's just like poof, and you're there. And then of course you have the uh heat wave, like <laughs> I don't you know, like yeah. that whole opening and even Beaker at the at, at that scene and they come in. This that whole part. I love Ghost of Christmas past section and I love the Ghost of Christmas future, but I think that first basically the first stave of the story, mm-hmm. I I think in the movie is just it never stops. It's just like bam, 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 bam. Just so good. It is. It is really good. And I guess that makes sense. You've said this is not. This is kind of a section of the film where you may, you may lose your attention. And the first, like very early on, Gonzo and Rizzo check out. So you go with them. You're like, when when my favorites are back, I'll come back. Yeah, That's I, the low stress points. You know, yeah. I like the low stress points. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, Brian, did you have a particular favorite part of of this section of the Ghost of Christmas Future? I think my favorite part of this is, is section is the aesthetic, mm-hmm. the Tim Burton like sets and that part of it. Yeah, the all the the the, the foggy, the mm-hmm. I guess it's it's night, but it's sort of the blue night, not the black dark of night. That right. Um, yeah, and and when he. Uh, you know, at the end, at the very end of the, when he's just kind of sees his ways that he needs to change. Uh, you know, he's crying to the to the spirit 
it's 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 nice. It's like they're you know he's changing. Mm-hmm. He's learning. Yeah. He can he can change. Yeah. All right. I'll say my favorite bit. I like the little bit with old Joe, like the little pawn shop where they're selling off, um, you know, selling off Scrooge's goods. The one where uh, it's the, um, you know, the blankets are still warm. I don't pay extra for the warmth. Kind of like, you know, my dark humor coming through. I think that maybe is the the darkest of the dark of this very dark section of the film. Um, but I that that's my particular favorite. So I think we've I think we've done. This this section of the film, Justice mm-hmm. Abby, any mm-hmm. any closing thoughts on the Ghost of Christmas Future or uh, Muppet Christmas Carol in general? Uh, I think so. I mean, you guys have let me rant about most things, and then other things that <laughs> have nothing to do with Muppets Christmas Carol, and somehow I guess maybe they'll make sense. So <laughs> <laughs> it um, it all made sense. It all made yeah, sense. Yeah, definitely. I I think yeah. No, I I. It's, this has been, I just have had a lot of fun talking about it with you all. So I'm just happy to be here. And thank oh, you yeah. for having me on on here. <laughs> and a good time. Yeah. Thank you for coming. I, yeah. I had a lot of fun as well. Any, Brian, any closing thoughts? Uh, I'm going to try to find less jeans, more khakis. <laughs> less jeans. Well, uh, <laughs> trousers. Wool trousers. Wool trousers. Wool trousers. Wool trousers. Plaid. Whoa. Wool, plaid right. wool trousers. Yeah. All right, I will look for those. Yeah. And someday, okay. someday, a gentlemanly high waist that actually reaches your waist will come back. You <laughs> mm-hmm. can only hope. I'll say what my kind of a, a closing thought is one of the things kind of following up, leaving old Joe's shop where Scrooge says to the spirit, uh, the case of this unhappy man might be my own, that he still hasn't made the connection. He still hasn't internalized it, that this is not... This is not something that could be him. This is him. This is his life. And I think that's part of the lesson of this tale. The lesson of the film is to like, don't look at it and think of that could be me. That is you. That is your life. And then, you know, how you choose to to go out and live it and how you change your own future. Um, you know, so, so, you know, kind of take responsibility and, and, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. Don't be Absolutely. a Scrooge. Be the Scrooge at the end. Don't be the Scrooge <laughs> in the beginning. Right. <clears throat> yeah. So on that note, Abby, thank you once again. This has been a lot of fun. I know, I'm sure our listeners are absolutely, they want to hear more. They want to know more. Uh, where can they find you? Where can they hear more of what you have to say on these wonderful subjects? Well, I'm actually very easy to find on YouTube. If you just <laughs> go to YouTube and you type in uh, Abby Cox, A-B-B-Y-C-O-X, I'll pop up. And I post, well, right now I post weekly, but for 2021, I'm actually going to be going to three videos a week. And I produce content over dress history subjects, doing costume reviews like Muppets Christmas Carol and some sewing as well. And actual antique clothing garment analysis as well, because I have a antique clothing collection. So if you're really into like old clothes and very obscure Pop culture references. Come hang out with me there. <laughs> well, I will. I, I will awesome. say, if you're like me, where you're a fan of the Muppets Christmas Carol and not necessarily knowledgeable on period clothing and costumes, that this is an excellent gateway. Abby's video that she has on this film, and also if you were confused by some of the stuff we talked about, because it's just the audio of a podcast and you want to have pictures where you can see what she's describing, go watch that video on the Muppet Christmas Carol and you will, it will enhance your enjoyment and your appreciation of this film. And then it will suck you in 
because there are many, many more videos that you will then continue watching on many other various subjects of historic dress. <laughs> Have you been binging my content? <laughs> I now know the difference between yes. a corset and a stay. <laughs> Stays. It stays. Okay. Which, something I didn't even know existed a week ago. And <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, I, it, 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 I went down a rabbit hole of Abby Cox videos after finding you through the Muppet <laughs> Christmas Carol, and it just sucked me in. And it's, it, it, it's all terribly interesting. And if even it's not something I found, you know, not something I was really into before, but the detail and the research that goes in and having it in the a visual context on YouTube where you can kind of see demonstrations or kind of see what you're talking about um, and, you know, comparative things and so forth. It's, it's really interesting. I found, I found it terribly interesting. I would encourage folks again, if you're, you know, if, if you're a fan of this film and if you're listening to this, I'm assuming you are go watch the, the Muppet Christmas Carol video that she did. And then, you know, and, and then I'm guessing that you'll be hooked that you'll want to watch more and and there's a lot there so i would definitely recommend i'm gonna i'll i'll put up a link specifically to um that muppet video it'll be on the the website and the social medias again that's so that's nextscenepod.com we're at nextscenepod on the socials it's the jelly of the month club is our facebook user group and once again it's only three more sleeps until our next episode And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us. God bless us, everyone. The love we found. The love we found. We carry with us, so we're never quite alone. Yeah.